Um, welcome to everyone. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, what I'd like to do is um, start by uh, first welcoming everybody, and then I want to allow you guys to introduce yourselves, you ladies, I should say, to introduce yourselves, um, and then we can get into the questions. And after that, towards the end of the program, we'll allow people to send in their questions and chat with us and see what they have to say. Sounds so, good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With that said, I'd like to first welcome you all to the International Women's Discussion. Um, we won't be limiting ourselves only to international, we'll also be U.S. And uh, the panelists beforehand have gotten a question. So I'm going to start with Chantel to introduce herself first. Um, Thank you. Go ahead. Um, well, hi, everyone. My name is Chantel Boynes. I'm a Caribbean artist originally from Trinidad and Tobago. I was trained as an artist in both Canada and Australia, and I mainly work with figurative oil paintings that depict women of color using extremely bold, an extremely bold color palette. Uh, in November of 2019, I launched an international art award that is completely independent and artist-run. It's called the Boeing's Emerging Artist Award. It's an organization that is dedicated to growing a platform for emerging artists worldwide to ensure that there are no boundaries other than talent to the success of your own practice. So we work to promote, give exposure and opportunity to emerging talent. So that is essentially the summary of what I have done so far. Thank you very much, Chantel. And then I would love to go to Gloria. Gloria has been helping me with this, and um, I really appreciate the help that she's done um, with helping me organize this and put this together. So if you would, Gloria, please introduce yourself. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to help you. Uh, my name is Gloria Diplin. I'm president of the Edison Art Society. The Society is about 24 years old. Um, our goal is to enhance and inform people about all forms of art and hopefully they'll get to love it as much as we do. Uh, we have a membership of just under 50 members and it covers everything, poetry, uh, visual arts, performing arts, performing arts thanks to Catherine, she's going to be helping us with that next year. And um, we have been uh, very fortunate because the uh, local administration has really supported the arts in Edison. And that's a big plus. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Sandra, you're next. Um, you? Hi. Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. So my name is Sandra Snelle, and I'm from Latvia, from Riga. So uh, I work in the field of painting. So I usually make large-scale paintings and I combine them with different uh, other art media and I put them in um, like usually large-scale installations and I also do some, do some murals and uh, yeah, I also work in the field of expanded painting that means that I combine painting with different other media. media. 
Yeah, and I also have an MA in art uh, history and uh, curating, and yeah, that's mainly what I do. Great. I'm, I'm glad you can join us. Uh, let's go to Margaret. Margaret, how are you? Okay. I'm Margaret Cohen, and thank you for inviting me, Gloria. Gloria was the contact for this. I am a member of the Edison Art Society, um, but I'm here representing the gallery at the Metuchen Library. I'm the director of the gallery, which is a volunteer activity. And my other art activity is that I am on the board of the Pastel Society of New Jersey. Currently, I'm recording secretary, and I have been program director for six years. And I'm hopefully finding a replacement, please. Um, but so my medium is pastels, and, and I just enjoy looking at art and encouraging people to be creative. So I'm listening for who's doing what in the area. So when the library opens again, don't be surprised if you hear from me for doing about doing a show at some point. Oh, fantastic. I love that. I would oh, love yeah. That. You know, but there's no point in planning until you know the gallery is going to be open. That's right. Okay. Thank you very much. Joyce, you're next. Hi, I'm Joyce Browning, and I mainly grew up here in New Brunswick, but originally from Newport News, Virginia. Um, I have to thank Gloria for uh, many of the opportunities that have come up for me the last year or so in the arts, and I am a member of the Edison Art Society, thanks to Gloria, okay, because she was very encouraging to join, and I'm glad I did. Um, I uh, am a retired art teacher, taught 36 years throughout New Jersey, mostly 10 years in Willingboro, and um, the last 26 in Metuchen. And in between that, um, I uh, between the first 10 years that I taught, I also did um, this the art circuit that back then, and I don't know if they still do it, but back then what they did is uh, there were promoters and organizers who set up art shows, art exhibits, during exhibitions all over the country. And you would have to sign up and send in photographs of your artwork. They would jury you in most of them. And then um, you could do the art show. And uh, some of them awarded prizes. One of the uh, shows I used to do was a circuit uh, by a woman called Jinx Harris, who did the whole entire East Coast. And she had shows back then in malls. So if you're my age, which I don't think any of you are, <laughs> you, you would have been able to go into a mall and see a whole entire art show on display from different artists from all over the country. And I did that for about 10 years and uh, saw my artwork all over, up and down the East Coast, out through the United States and Texas and uh, Arizona, California, and uh, also in Europe as well. So I, you know, spent a lot of time on the road, but also teaching. And I um, wasn't planning on teaching, got into teaching because that was the way I was going to get into art and found that I loved teaching so much that I had to think of how can I do art and teach at the same time. So I became an art teacher, <laughs> which was fun. I enjoyed it for 36 years. So the last couple of years, I've just been kind of chilling and relaxing. And I thought this year we get back into the art circuit and then the pandemic hit. So I'm uh, just kind of waiting for things to open up a bit. And I'm thankful to Gloria and, and some of the other art shows that are coming up that are virtual and some that are, you know, people can go to because that's helping me to get back out there. And talk about your TV, your radio program. Oh, well, I, that's on hiatus right now because I ended up having to do it from home. I, for two years, I was a uh, host, broadcast host at WCTC, 
AM talk radio. And I had a talk show that featured artists and, you know, the cultural the cultural society of, of our country, uh, all the uh, folks who were in dance and theater and uh, music and the, uh, restaurants. And uh, every week we had somebody on the show, free of charge. My goal was to make sure that they didn't have to spend money because a lot of the organizations were nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't in their budget, but it was great having a different group on, uh, even uh, organizations that were, uh, you know, uh, under the heading of the state government, you know, the um, Cultural and Heritage Commission, the McFoods program, all different organizations that I had them, because I felt there was a way, most of them not having any funds for radio, this was a way to get them the opportunity to spread the word even further than they were spreading it. So for two years, I did that. And this past year, we ended up uh, in 2020, um, actually ending in, in January of this year, because uh, funds were tight, number one, and two, most of the organizations that I would have on, you know, the theaters, all those people were not available anymore. So hopefully they will all be able to come back, and hopefully by then I will have raised some more funds and be able to get back to the, the talk show. It was great. I loved it, and I think it was uh, hopefully a helpful um, you know, a part of the nonprofit's lifestyle. Uh, we look forward to hearing more of your experience, and I hope you can get that radio show going, because I would love to hear more about it. Uh, Catherine, you're up next. Hi, I'm the artistic director of Dragonfly Multicultural Arts Center. We started seven years ago. We started in Metuchen. And we were in Metuchen for a while and then we couldn't afford it and we got free space at Woodbridge. And then we had a somewhat controversial play we wanted to put on about a police shooting of a young black man and the police objected. So we lost our free space in Woodbridge. And then finally we landed at Ducre School of the Arts and we've been there I think almost three years with the pandemic, it all kind of blurs together. But we're a nonprofit theater. We're dedicated to multicultural programming and non-traditional casting. Uh, it, my idea for this started when I was in college at University of Michigan and there was a black theater group and the black students in the theater department did their own play and they weren't very integrated into the other plays in the department, which I thought was criminal. I thought it was awful. And then uh, I worked at the Forum Theater for a while and then I started teaching and I saw, I was in a big, great big high school in New Jersey and their plays were mostly white. And a lot of my students were not white and I really wanted to encourage them to find a place for themselves in casts. So uh, they changed what I was teaching and I was no no longer teaching theater. And so I decided to leave teaching and start a theater company and somehow make enough money so my husband didn't send me back to full-time work. (laughs) And Uh, So I started the theater company with my daughter, and we've had really diverse casts. We've had people with um, communication disorders working with us, 
in some of our readings, we've had someone who's in a wheelchair working with us. Uh, very diverse casts, and we're trying now to do more programming that focuses on uh, people of different backgrounds. Last year, we did a play about an Indian family. This summer, we're doing Having Our Say by Emily Mann about two African-American sisters in their early 100s. So um, we're really trying to mix up what we do and give opportunities to people of all levels of acting, all experience, all ethnicities, um, and especially give opportunities to women because women are, are underrepresented in theater. When we do auditions, we have so many young white women in their 20s and not so many of anyone else. So we do do a lot of outreach to try to get our cast to be diverse. Excellent. Caro, you're up. Okay. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Lonnie, for the invitation of being part of this panel. So it's prestigious uh, and I love it, that are mainly women, which is something really rare in this world. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, I am an internationally exhibited um, artist specialized in oil paintings that I like to intervene with technology. Um, like part of my creative process, some of my paintings, I I intervene them in many, many ways. I uh, sometimes create reels with music or sometimes I, I create uh, other artworks. I am a part of the movement called Technoexpressionism that has based in New York. And uh, we are all creators doing new things with the new technology that is available all the time, <laughs> they create new programs and uh, new things to intervene our artworks. Uh, I have studied art all my life in its diverse forms. I am an interior designer. Uh, I have studied art and painting in Brazil. Um, and I, I also studied um, sculpture in Argentina. Uh, visited <laughs> globally museums uh, and uh, the house of the painters are very, very attractive to me uh, uh, to see where, where they live, their environment, uh, and, and that all has to do with the, the job they do and the art they create. And well, um, I have won some awards for my artwork. And uh, well, it's a pleasure to be here now. I, I, I'm open to collaborate in whatever I can in this panel. Great, thank you so much to all of you. Thank you. Um, really looking forward to how you answer these questions. So the first question is, what do you see as the current impact of women artists globally? Um, I want to start with uh, Sandra. Sandra, if you would like to answer that question. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Of course, I can speak for the whole world, but in my home country, 
In Latvia, many exhibitions have been devoted recently to women, to female bodies, to female role as mother, to female sexuality, and to females being artists. In addition, almost always such exhibition curators, organizers, and artists themselves are females. I would also emphasize the need to organize not, not just solo female exhibitions, but female artist group exhibitions in order to attract public attention to the problematics of female roles in the society. Um, I myself participated in a group exhibition in Germany last year, which was devoted uh, to the cooperation between German and Latvian female artists. I found this cohort very useful uh, because female artist position in Germany is stronger than in Latvia, and I hope to use the German experience in my country as well. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, Chantal, I know you have a huge platform here, so I'd also like to get your views on, on that. Um, uh, I think in, especially in recent years, there's only now been an acknowledgement that women even have had and currently have an impact in art. But specifically in Trinidad and Tobago, and I think the wider Caribbean, we have been experiencing a great number of women creating space for other artists. An example of that is something called Upmarket in Trinidad, where artists and creatives come together. An artist can get a, like a boost for a small fee and show their work to pre-COVID thousands of people in the country instead of needing to go into a gallery. You also, we've also seen a lot of women getting into art businesses, creating women-led magazines and starting their own very successful galleries. And for me, I think looking at all of that, I think the impact of that has been that it's been great to see women doing that in art space, earning money, being successful, and honestly normalizing the practice of art being a career, a sustainable career, something to earn a living from. And I think it's had the impact also of shifting the narrative of art, just being this very legitimate career choice, because um, unfortunately that's not the mindset that's currently exists, I think, in the Caribbean, maybe in the US as well. So, yeah, for me, I think the movement of women creating spaces where we are now and business has really just had the impact of changing the mindset and normalizing the mindset of art is an incredible career choice, an honorable career choice that can earn you money. So, for me, that's when I think of that question, that's what I think of. Okay, I'd really also thank you very much. I'd like to hear what Joyce has to say since she's... Well, having traveled a lot with uh, my art, one of the things I noticed over all the years that I was doing art was that 90% of the artists were men. And it's not that there were not women doing art, because women have been doing art since time immemorial. I mean, if you check history, you'll find, you'll check back that there was the women that did the, uh, the calligraphy and the little details and drawings on many of the manuscripts and uh, Artesia, you know, whose father taught her to paint. And so, you know, women have been doing art. It's just that we've never really had full representation or been taken seriously. And, and I found that one of the interesting things that was both good and kind of a, um, um, sort of annoying when I was doing the art shows is that almost all the men 
looked out for me. They, they were so busy taking care of me because I, here's this woman. And there, and there were a few women. There, there wasn't that there weren't women. It's just that we were so few in numbers. And those that were there were usually with their husbands and children. They were not by themselves. So when I, you know, started doing these shows, I was neither married nor had children. And it was always, you know, they wanted to be sure you were safe and okay, which was nice. But at the same time, my thought was, do they not think I'm serious about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I am just as serious as they are. So I think one of the problems we have is an age problem with women in anything that they do is that, first of all, we have to get uh, the men at, to take us seriously. And we have to have the women who are doing it to be serious about it because this is a profession. It is a career. It is something we can do just like anybody else. And that's sculpture, carving, painting, drawing, whatever. And uh, so I, I have found that in my travels that it varies from place to place, but mostly a lot of the places as was, number one, 90% of the folks who were doing the art shows and, and exhibiting the work and making the money were men. Women were either not always included or they were juried out because they figured you're a woman, you're not being serious. And so were very few of us. Now it's nice to see in some places that that's beginning to change because I did the art shows up until I'm going to say 1990 and then I didn't really do mostly jury shows after that but the ones that were like open to the public for everyone to come and buy art the ones that <clears throat> were designed mainly for selling was mostly men and as the time went by I'm beginning to see more and more women in you know and get involved and and uh, take part in the fact that they are able to do just as great a job as, as the men and, you know, support each other and be out there. And as far as galleries, seeing more women open galleries. Um, I also found that when I was in Europe that it was much easier for me to sell my work in Europe than it was here in America. You know, that was an interesting, you know, kind of thing to have to deal with. But, you know, once people realize, you know, that you're very serious about what you're doing, this tend to sometimes try to change their mindset, but that's the thing we really have to do. I'm going to say less than 2% of of the art population of of folks exhibiting and selling the work are only women. And we need to get people, particularly now that we're moving into the 21st century, to understand that women can do art just like men. Thank you. Uh, Margaret, I'd also like to hear what uh, you'd have to say about this as well. Okay. I think I don't have international experience and my experience is in the world of pastels. So I'm going to talk about what I know. Um, yeah. So, and my, my personal observation. So in the, so, and partly I think this is generational. This is really building on what Joyce said. Those of us who are actually pre baby boom grew up where the men supported the family and the women did the, the children and took care of the men and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of men, when they went to art school, they would get out of art school and then they would start to work as artists. And a lot of the women maybe didn't have that luxury because that wasn't how, how life was laid out for them. So what I have seen is that women I know who went to art school and then who worked in magazines, in, in graphic design. I know one woman who designed thousands of book jacket covers. I mean, these are people who are really excellent drafts persons and they do beautiful work but I think a lot of them have come to their personal art later in life when they left those those corporate jobs and then they decided to do their own 
personally creative thing. So among the people I'm thinking of, there are people who teach, who give demos, who do workshops, um, who enter the national jury pastel competitions and win awards. When we're talking about really good people, a, a lot of people, um, there's a, a, a show every year at the National Arts Club run by the um, Pastel Society of America. And the Butler Museum in Ohio frequently then exhibits some of that work. And that's the only museum I'm aware of in this country that actually um, really fosters pastels, which is kind of cool. But I'm thinking about the people I know who, who do this. And it's like many of the women who are coming into it are a bit older after having done something else. And there are as many women who are really good at this as there are men. Some of them have had longer years to practice their craft as a profession. And um, trying to think another, another point. Uh, anyway, that, that's enough. I mean, I just, I think that, um, yeah, I, I just, I think that, oh, I know what I was just going to say. What I observe though, like when I've taken classes, when I've been in workshops myself, way more women participate in art than men. Like you'll go to a workshop, there'll be one or two men and there'll be like, you know, 12 women or something, which I find really interesting because in that sense, the men are more represented in terms of making money and being out there than, than they are represented in the workshops and kinds of things that I have participated in. I'm seeing heads nodding. So maybe other people have had the same experience. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Carol, I'd like to hear what you have to say on international stage there. Um. Yes. Uh, well, I think that uh, we women traditionally, uh, we are a strong force and we dedicate our life to art, but it, it's taking more like an artisanal work where in, in the old days, the artists were the crazy men creating those things with temper and all that. And we are more quiet, more <laughs> taking care of the house and, and children, and then doing our, our artwork while we can. That's how traditionally uh, uh, the, the curators see us. They don't see like, the passion of, of of the masters and all that, but they they there have been examples uh, in in the and exceptions, no, uh, like Frida Kahlo and many other artists who have a strong temper and they do what they want <laughs> and they they make uh, the men respect their art. Uh, Another issue that we have is uh, a kind of economic violence because uh, to be in the art, you need to have money to invest, uh, to invest in your uh, paintings, in your things, in your art. But most of the exhibitions nowadays on, on the contest, you all need money to participate. The, most of the... Uh, main global events require requires a fee to to even a small fee. It's not so much maybe fifty dollars, seventy euros, whatever. But 
it sums up and and if you are depending on a man the man is going to tell you why are you wasting money <laughs> don't do that 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 is a hard thing that we need to to respond to because sometimes it's money you take from the family to invest in your in the art and it's not easy so that is a barrier and i think those uh, competitions uh, should be free uh, to create equality in the world. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and another thing that I want to, to, to highlight is that curatorial practices and usually traditionally are made by men. So that, that relegates women one more time. And in, uh, as Joyce was telling, 95% of the art in museums is made by, by men, but most of the, the paintings in display are women, usually without clothes. So that is, yeah, that's something that we need to change. We don't want us anymore, and, and we are ready to, to do the change now. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Gloria. Uh, I agree with what these ladies are saying in that there are so many more women artists in the art society than men. Uh, however, the difference that I notice is that women uh, price their art a lot lower than what men, how men price their art. And I don't know if that's an ego thing or uh, how they come to these numbers, but I will on occasion talk to the artists and ask them to reconsider the particular price that they have put on a piece. Unless they are a very established person like uh, Joyce, who has had so much experience, she absolutely knows what she's doing. But I feel that sometimes oh, women are um, diminishing themselves by not having the right, proper price on a piece. I think it goes together. Can I speak to that? Can I, can I, can I speak to that? Yes, go ahead. go ahead. Gloria, you're absolutely right. And one of the problems with pricing our works is that, first of all, women are not um, trained to believe that they are valued as artists and that their work is valuable. So number one, they don't always price their works as high as the men do. Number two, they also know that in many places that people say, well, it's done by women, it's a hobby and not a profession is how they see it. So they don't think you should charge a whole lot of money for it. So number one, we have to, as women, have to get people to understand that if we are painting and it's a hobby, it's okay to ask a lot of money because your hobby is costing you money. And two, if you are a professional artist, then you have a right to ask because your work also in, re reflects your time and energy and then your level of creativity that you're putting into this. So, you know, we still have that issue. And I'm sure even today, you know, with selling our work, women, I go places where, you know, some, well, before the pandemic, and I would see works by women and the prices are, I'm thinking, what you know? What? Why are you asking that? You know, because again, 
And then also, I also had people around me who trained me to, you know, to think better of myself and my work. And if you're going to be in here doing this full time or as much as you can, you need to ask the prices that your work is uh, is, is valued at. And, and I learned to do that. You know, I would go to some of these shows and I would have people mocking back and forth, bidding over a piece of artwork because, uh, you know, they thought maybe it would bring the price down. I figured, no, you know, it's going to the highest bidder. So you have to, women have to, first of all, realize that they are very valuable and important and your work is a reflection of you and that is valuable and important too. Absolutely. Catherine. I see more women writing plays now and directing than there used to be, which makes me really happy. It's, uh, it's for a long time, it was mostly men writing the stories and they wrote about men. And you have so many women who want to act and want to be in plays and want their stories told, but the men are not telling it, telling the stories, or if they are, they aren't telling them quite right, I think. So I, I think it's good that there are, are more women playwrights now, but I think that needs to be increased. And also, we're at a point in the theater now where we want to start building directors. And we have uh, a woman now who directed last year a short play. She's directing a full length this time. And we want to really encourage the women to come in and write and direct women's stories because it's important for women to, who are going to the theater as audience members to be able to see stories that are about them rather than just all with male protagonists. Okay. Great. Great. My next question then to you. Um, I'm going to skip to number three because number two, we kind of hinted at, and maybe I'll come back to that again. But question number three has to do with, do you have any books on art that you would like to recommend? And uh, I guess I will start with Joyce this time. Okay. Well, I had to laugh because I went was thinking of that, and I'm thinking to myself, "Gee, the only one I ever remember really from school was Jansen, and I don't know if I recommend Jansen today because I, I was reading a little blurb about how it hasn't really changed as far as women are concerned a whole lot." And I go, "Okay, so you know what? I I'm since I'm um, I still consider myself an employed artist traveling and doing shows, you know, even if many of them right now are virtual. I always have this one book for myself, and it's called The Art Effects, and it's by Jean Drysdale Green. And I'm sure you should, if you go online, you should be able to find it. It's uh, published by uh, Watson um, Guptal Publications. So it's, you know, a, a, one of those regular publications. I like the book. I use it for both teaching and for myself because there it, it, it covers all the aspects of painting, you know, drawing and painting, not so much sculpture because it, it's mostly designed. I bought it because I'm, you know, a painter. So I uh, found that I used it with my students, which was very good. I could, you know, show them the pictures. I could demonstrate for them. It has great uh, illustrations and descriptions and every kind of uh, media you could possibly use that's two-dimensional. And so when I would teach, I would say to my kids, if you can find this book, go buy it, you know, because it covers everything. So um, that's pretty much the one book that I um, 
have related to. And you know, I have a variety, but I mean, I don't kind of even have things like this, <laughs> you know, when uh, teaching uh, drawing, you know, because it was very basic and simple. But uh, and this is called Figure Drawing by Victor Perard. It, it's old as the it's old as me. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, but otherwise, I really didn't use a whole lot of uh, books as much as I try to use nature and um, art, you know, information about other artists for my kids to learn about the world is full of artists everywhere and who do different things for different reasons. So most of the other books that I have in my, my, my stack of books are books that I used for teaching. Great. Sandra, what, what kinds of books or are there any books you yeah. share with us? Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. As I'm working in the field of artistic research of expanded painting, I would recommend a book by Mark Titmarsh, who talks about expanded painting and about the history of this term, and through a historical perspective shows how the medium of painting has come to such a state um, that we uh, now describe as expanded painting. And the full title of the book is Expanded Painting, Ontological Aesthetics and the Essence of Color. I believe this book could be interesting for artists who work in the field of contemporary painting, especially, and who combine painting with different other media. So, uh, yeah, that's like, um, and thanks to this book, I essentially became uh, like the first female artist in Latvia who dedicated my master's thesis to this topic. Oh, great. I I want to ask you one thing though, Sandra. How did you get into the large scale uh, paintings that you do? Actually, um, when I started doing arts and painting, be uh, in, in the preparatory courses for the art academy, um, uh, we were asked to like make all the works in the size of sixty to eighty centimeters, like pretty small ones. And when uh, I got into the art academy, I just tried. The, the big formats and that somehow I just started loving them I would say and then uh, the formats uh, the sizes got bigger and bigger and so yeah I somehow like that um, the physical aspect of the large-scale paintings with the big people and the viewers come in so they feel like uh, going into the paintings and that's a bit probably also a thought uh, like a, some it has some motives of theater where I would say like it's like a visual theater when the paintings are not only images, but they are also like objects and I combine them with objects and text. Okay. Great, thank you. Chantal. Um, I, I actually more relate to Joyce in that I would less use books than nature looking at other artists. The only real book I um, really loved and would recommend is Color and Light, A Guide to the Realist Painter by James Gurney. It's very practical, technical, and there was a period of time when I was trying to be self-taught. It was very helpful to me because it's essentially broke down, you know, um, form principle, principles of shadow, every single principle of light, color, palette, color techniques, how to paint in monotone. So it's very... It's a very technical, practical book for painters and drawers, and specifically realist painters as well. But the techniques are just, I think, applicable to majority of 2D visual mediums and very helpful. So I would 100% recommend that book. It's called Color and 
Light, A Guide to the Realist Painter by James Gurney. All right. Thanks. Margaret. Okay. <laughs> well, again, I'm decided to um, pull out things that relate to the pastels because I figure so many people don't know anything about it. So, And I chose two books by female artists who are currently, well, actually Maggie Price is deceased, but this one is Painting with Pastels, which is in reverse on this, obviously. So let me get back a little bit. It's Painting with Pastels, and it just has a lot of really basic stuff. It really covers the same ideas that people have been talking about. Mm-hmm about um, value and color. I mean, one of the things about pastels is one of the ways that they work and you get that depth and intensity is that you underpaint and then you apply the pastel over your underpainting. And I remember attending a workshop that Maggie Price actually um, ran at one point and that's where I learned, it was when I was beginning, I learned more about underpainting. But anyway, but, so this is a good book. And this one by Deborah Stewart, I've taken like three workshops with her. I like her work so much. Um, it's called Abstract Art, Abstract Art Paintings, Expressions and Mixed Media. And um, and she just has a lot of exercises in here and ideas about how to work abstractly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say that it's not working abstractly is not random. You know, it's not like just splatter painting and putting something on and you still, the same things that make any work of art work also have to be applied if you're working abstractly in terms of balance and composition and, and contrast and all those kinds of things. And she deals with that as well. I see heads nodding. Yes. Um, so it's not just this random thing. So that's two women artists, Maggie Price, and Deborah Stewart, that's D-E-B-O-R-A, Stewart, S-T-E-U-A-R-T. And um, anyway, so I wanted to recommend them if people are interested in learning about pastels and also just learning about, it's this, you know, art is art. I mean, the same, the same elements apply regardless of the medium. So. Yes, that's true. So, Tara, what, what would you have to say? Tara does quite a bit of abstract conceptual art. Uh-huh. What are your uh, books, Carol? I, I do conceptual art in, and my inspiration are global events and spirituality. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I do. Uh, and my my book that I always have by my, my side is Oxford Dictionary of Art and, and Artists. Oh, let's see. Yeah, can't see it. You can't really see it. Yeah, I'm going to take this. Okay. The background, yeah, <laughs> you can see it now. And uh, this uh, includes styles and movements, museums and galleries, and materials and techniques. Uh, it's a great guide, and I always have it by my side because uh, I like to read it. And also many times uh, being at artist forums all the time, names uh, surge up that I am not aware. So I go fast to my book or if I want to know anything. So it's it's a, a great thing to have at hand. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Catherine, um, since you're in the uh, theater, what kind of books would you uh, recommend? Oh, you're on mute. Got it. Okay. <laughs> a book I read when I first started st- 
studying acting was Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen, who was a well-known acting teacher. I think she worked with Marlon Brando long ago. And she, she really sets out how to approach acting, which really helps you as a director to know how to work with actors. And so I really like that book. I, I can't think if I've ever read a book on directing or producing, but I've read hundreds of scripts. So I have, uh, I'm glad you can't see because over here I have piles of scripts all over the place. But Respect for Acting by Uta Hagen, I really recommend. Great, thanks. And Gloria? Uh, my books are Simply for Pleasure. And one is on Claude Monet and the other is on Georgia O'Keeffe. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. That brings us to question number four. And you might have already answered this, Gloria, so I'm going to stick with you. Which female artist, <laughs> artist, artist do you admire the most? I do love Georgia O'Keeffe. Uh, the simplicity, plus I, I absolutely adore flowers, and she has certainly capitalized on that. Uh, I just find her technique is very, um, appeals to me in many different levels. All right. Catherine, back to you. She's on mute. Uh, I'm trying to get it. Sorry, my husband's <laughs> in the basement and he's so loud that I, I don't want you to hear him. Um, I really admire Emily Mann because she not only writes and directs, she also ran a theater company. And so I try to do all those things with not with the success she's had, but I do love to do all three things. Um, I'm working on a new play now. Well, we've just chosen the plays for the summer and then I'll be directing them and producing them. So Emily Mann, who ran McCarter. Yeah, McCarter. <laughs> Thanks, Sandra. Who do you admire? Yeah, as, a, uh, as I'm a painter myself, I yeah, mostly I'm mostly interested in painting. And one of my favorite female artists uh, is Jenny Seville. I don't know if you know, but uh, she works in the field of painting, and I appreciate a lot the way she tries to depict the body of a woman that is different and does not fit into what has been historically defined as a male gaze. A uh, woman shown by Seville could often be regarded as ugly and provocative. She plays artistically with the sexuality, which is often associated with the female body. Yeah, I really appreciate her work. And what is her name again? Uh, Jenny Seville. Jenny Seville. I can write it in the chat. Yes. Yeah, she's a British artist. Okay, great. Chantal. I actually, um, Jenny Seville is actually one of my favorite artists as well. Oh. She, my uh, art teacher in Australia, I think, when he saw me painting all of these, you know, bigger women, she was the one, um, he was the one who directed me to her. Another artist, though, that I really like is Bisa Butler who, um, even though I'm, I obviously don't do sewing and quilting, she does these incredibly big um, 
sewing quilting woods of people of color just average scenes of portraits as well and they're very you know intensely colorful bold and very vibrant and i just admire the work and the effort it must take to put it all together just to construct such a piece of work can you put her her name in the chat as well too yeah and we'll go to joyce Oh, that was one question that um, I had to laugh at because I have so many that are women artists. I mean, okay. I, I, women artists, I was surprised how many there were that I just thought, wow. Georgia O'Keeffe was definitely one because of her simplicity, how she just took something as um, detailed as, uh, you know, the structure of a flower and blew it up to the jewel. You felt like you were almost living in it mm-hmm. and her. Uh, how she used color. It just amazed me. But I also liked um, uh, Mary Cassatt because Mary, for not only for her art and the fact that she's an American artist, but also for the fact that she held her own with those those uh, French impressionists. <laughs> she really, I mean, she really hung in there with them. You know, they get, they had great respect for her, and she was American. So I, you know, she is definitely one of my favorites, favorite all-time artists. But I also like an artist like Faith Ringel because she has a whole different approach of, of painting and and uh, her artwork and the use of color and it's you know she from a, a, an african-american woman she just brings out a whole mm. massive amount of color that just makes you go wow and of course one that i don't even think people think about a lot today judy chicago when I came back up to the central Jersey, she was doing an art exhibit of her work, which I think is, in my opinion, is uh, even though it's dimensional, it's very conceptual. And I was like, oh my God, who, 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 who thinks of this? Yeah. So she, she introduced me to a whole different um, aspect of, of art when it came to thinking, you know, conceptually. And I really liked her, her, her dinner display. It was just, I mean, even though when you think in terms of, um, ceramics, dinner, plates, you, you know, most people don't think art, but she used it in such a manner that she gave you a whole nother perspective mm-hmm. of, of art. So that's just a handful okay. <laughs> of women I admire. <laughs> All right. Laura, um, did we get, did I get to you, Laura? Did you? Yes, you did. Okay. Yes, you did. That would mean Carol's next. <laughs> yes. Uh, as I mentioned before, I, I admire uh, Frida Kahlo for being a, a figure of advance of her era. She was born in 1907, so uh, she was one of the fir- first surrealist painters uh, in the world because traditionally uh, women just paint uh, what they see and she had a strong interior world uh, due to her injuries of a car accident that uh, she relates into her artwork. And uh, it was really, really interesting uh, to see her paintings and how she she, she managed to uh, share with the viewer uh, all the emotions that she feels inside. 
it's something extraordinary when our, our network managed to do that. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, who have I not gotten to? Me. That's Margaret. <laughs> Margaret, yes. Yeah, and I wanted to mention um, a German artist. Um, I pronounce it uh, Kata Kollwitz, but some people say Kathy Kollwitz, and I have this book here. You may have seen images like this. Yes. Mm -hmm. She's done a lot of things of mother and child, mother and death struggling over child. She was a painter from Germany. She painted between the world wars, and she depicted a lot of, I guess, the suffering in Germany during the Depression there. Um yeah, and, and a lot of this book that I happen to have is her drawings, which are largely charcoal or pencil. And they're just very, very powerful. I personally don't draw people. I'm not really good at it. But um, her work is just so powerful and so full of expression and mm, just humanity that I would recommend if you're not aware of her, go look for her work because it's really powerful and impressive and I can certainly spell her name in the um in the chat because I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right or not since it's okay. in German. All right. So our next question <clears throat> we talked a bit about abstract, but how do you feel about hyperrealism? And we'll start with Chantal. Um, I personally uh, absolutely love hyperrealistic work. I have a lot of respect for the amount of skill it takes to actually do it. And I'm, to be honest, quite envious because I have this thought that hyperrealistic artists are probably the only ones who can look at their work and know that it's actually done. Like, it, it's like said that it's done and that's it. So I... I personally just, I love the challenge of that the artist must face to push painting to the point where you don't know if it's a painting or a photograph. I just find it very interesting. I can't do it to save my life. I've tried, absolutely can't do it, but I continue to try to learn how to do it. Um, but yeah, I personally absolutely adore it as a technique. Um, and I have a lot of respect for the artists that can do it. And jealousy. <laughs> How about you, Sandra? Hyperrealism. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a hyperrealist myself, and it's also not uh, very popular in Europe, I would say. Um, in my humble opinion, since its introduction, photography has taken the functions of documentation, which was earlier done by painting. And nowadays, we don't need painting to depict the world uh, around us as microscopically precise copies. I believe that painting should be more than just a representative image of the reality. On the other hand, of course, contemporary painting could be seen as very pluralistic. Consequently, anything could be painting, and painting could be anything. So, yeah, in contemporary art world, all forms are accepted, and there are no strict guidelines for defining the contemporary. I would say like that. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. Caro. I agree with Sandra. <laughs> it, 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 I think it's, and also with Chantal, because it requires a mastery of skills, mm -hmm. but I, I, 
I'm not related to it because I think nowadays it's not relevant to us to invest so much time copying something we because we have printers and <laughs> there's no need to that. I, I, I appreciate more uh, reflecting our world, uh, our what we live and our internal emotions in for the future. Uh, it, it's more relevant uh, to, to display what we are living now uh, in this pandemic era than reflecting uh, <laughs> precisely. I think you see that there's no need to invest so much time in that. If you have those skills, I applaud you because it's something extraordinary, <laughs> but it's not my thing. <laughs> well, I just want to uh, point out that um, Carol's artwork is in the back ground that is actually yeah, let's paint. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes. and it's beautiful yeah thank you, thank you. <laughs> very cool yes. I, I i like to reflect my emotions and what's going on in the world or in my world uh, this this painting is called trapped into destiny that is what is happening to all of us with COVID, we never imagine what we are going through and we have been dealing with for the last year. So it's one of my paintings related to that. Okay, Joyce, what would you say to hyper-realism? Well, I have to agree with both Sandra and Carol because uh, when I first encountered hyper-realism, my first thought was I could take a photograph. Why do I need somebody to paint that for me? <laughs> you know? And then, you know, one of the things I, I did do is, the, which I do with a, a lot of the, the different art forms, is I tried it out and I went, oh, no, this is just, you know. It, it really takes a, a skill to copy that realistic of an image of something, you know. So whereas I um, don't necessarily like hyper-realism in a sense as an art form because for me art should be an expression of what you feel about things around you in the world how you see things and how you interpret things and how you want other people to see how you see them you know I think that it's your art you should be able to tell a story through that art and it should be you know, fluid, it should be all the different things you want it to be whether it's got realism added to it or not but for me hyper-realism just was uh, was like taking a photograph <laughs> because I didn't need you to paint it, <laughs> you know. So, and I love your your work, Carol. It's great. I love it. Love the colors. Thank yeah. you. That's what I call art. Yeah. Yes. I, I I like to reflect with colors also <laughs> what's going on. No, if emotions and all that. <laughs> Not to see perfection. Bless you. <laughs> like. Blessings. Myself and you. Yeah, it is great. It's really great. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Um, I have to compliment Caro before I make my statement because that uh, painting behind you, I think, just so signifies exactly what we're all going through with this COVID. Yeah. The colors are perfect, and the little person up at the top, oh, you just captured it so beautifully. Thank you so much. Thank you. And as far as the hyper-realism, uh, I do appreciate everyone's art form. 
I love the fact that people are dedicated to art because my feeling is life would be so dreary without art in any form, whether you're a gardener or you paint or my particular art form is embroidery. And that that is on the way out. I know that, but I still love it and enjoy it. In mm -hmm. fact, I've had people... Um, uh, ask me if they could buy my pieces, but I, I just won't sell them. <laughs> my babies. <laughs> but I, I, uh, it's not my thing, but I certainly appreciate all the effort because art is a lot of effort. Yes, it is. Catherine, I don't know what the equivalent of hyperrealism is in, in <laughs> a theater or... I, I, no, I was trying to think of what it would be. I used to work at a theater in the city where they focused on lyric realism. So it's it's they had a hard time defining it, I think. But um, I don't know, showing, um, I, I think the music in life sort of that was. I And I think hyper-realism, we really want to do some immersive things where we have um, people acting out things and then the audience circulating around with it. But I don't know that that's hyper-realism. Um, it's, yeah, it's not a term I've really heard in theater. In terms of it in art, I, as someone who cannot draw, I'm fascinated by hyper-realism in art. I just, I love looking at, at the pictures because it's so far from what I could ever do. I, I find it fascinating. Margaret. Okay, I'm going to agree and disagree with people um, in a couple of ways. I have great admiration, like everyone else who said this, I have great admiration for the people who have the manual dexterity and the eye to, um, to be able to render on paper or on canvas or whatever their surface is something that is so detailed that you know, that it could be a photograph. I don't have that dexterity. I don't have that talent. I don't have that interest. I don't have that patience. However, I do know people who do things that I, I would describe as hyper real, but they're not exactly photographic. I know of some artists who set up still lifes of collections of toys, collections of matchbox cars, collections of game pieces. So it's not like, you know, someone has just taken a landscape and then rendered that landscape to be photographic. They've created a composition of stuff that, you know, that's very carefully arranged. And, and so, and, and it's not just random, there's a composition to it. And yet the technique is, is, is hyper real, hyper detailed. Um, they probably are working with pastel pencils. I mean, this is like really, really detailed there's another artist I know who does things like locks that are not L-O-X, but L-O-C-K-S, um, you know, that are just jumbled together. Um, license plates, streetcar signs. I mean, things that I would never think to create in a composition. I don't know if she actually has a lot of these things and she's actually um, copying what she's laid out or if she's just so good that she can imagine all these things superimposed on each other. So, I mean, there is, so I've seen a lot of creativity in the composition of some people 
who work in what I have to describe as a very hyperreal technique. And these are people who always win prizes, I think, because the judges are so impressed with the detail in the patients. I look at them and I, they leave me kind of cold. I mean, I, I kind of admire them, but they leave me cold emotionally. But yeah, but it, there's a level at which, which, you know, I mean, the patience and the detail that people have to do this is sort of admirable in a way that is so not me. But yes, so I agree and disagree with people based on, you know, what I've seen at least. So uh, that leaves us with one more question. Um, well, actually, there are two more, but I'm going to skip again and I'm going to ask you about your thoughts and our feelings on digital art. And I'm going to start with Cairo since she mentioned uh, bridging some of her paintings with uh, the digital aspects. So. Yes, uh, I think it's super fun for me <laughs> to. Uh, take my painting and start playing around. It's kind of a game for me. And I, I use uh, different uh, different uh, programs like Photoshop or other many apps that there are now. And I play and uh, also at Instagram, you can add, uh, you can do a reel with your art and you can add music and it creates an environment like a movie for your painting. So, I, I, if you if if you enter into my Instagrams, you can see many many different uh, creations with the same uh, base of my painting, and that's what what I do. And uh, that painting can also can be. Uh, uh, converted by blockchain in F NFAT. That is another question later, but there are so, so many things that you can do. And my latest exhibition in the city of Florence, Italy, it was uh, made with augmented reality. And it, you can, uh, there's an app that you can download my exhibition is still today <laughs> and downloading this app you can see my paintings in your space wherever you are uh, and and you can see in your wall or if you are in a garden you see the paintings floating in the garden it's something beautiful mm -hmm. and all created with the technology there are so many possibilities that it's an amazing world for us artists and also uh, exhibiting at the virtual museums uh, it creates a lot of opportunities of recognitions, recognition in a global scale that it's not traditional for our work and that all is awesome. And it's a, a highlight that this pandemic world brings us. It's everything very sad, but as an as artist, we have something that it's positive and that that is all these creations, and that the the virtual world has exploded literally. Sandra, yeah, have you worked with digital art? Yeah, um, actually, not uh, very much, but sometimes I have tried. So, but I think digital art. Um, 
it uh, surely does not demand uh, as deep knowledge as in painting and drawing, but it allows everyone to create art without the need to be practically trained in the profession. That's what the computers allow, I think. For me, an interesting aspect of creating digital art uh, is that it's um, on the computer and the Photoshop and all different kind of digital art programs, they have this function of redo and uh, undo. And so I think um, uh, then that's not possible in painting. And uh, so you can um, return to earlier stages of the art piece if, if a change is needed. And I think it's a very interesting aspect. And digital art is a good platform for experimentation. So you can uh, make a lot of um, images um, in a short period of time. So you can put a lot of layers and then you can play with them. And um, um, yeah, and it's not a big risk of making a mistake. Having said that the digital art does make us more dependent on technologies. That's also true. Um, Gloria, what have you seen digitally? I, um, I don't know how many people know this. I know some of my members are aware of this, but, uh, we have had exhibits where there was digital art uh, displayed and there were several people who were upset, several artists, and their comment was that it is not true art. So what we did was to make everybody happy, we uh, broke up the, uh, it was a juried exhibit. We broke up the exhibit to include, you know, oils, pastels, digital art, so that everybody could get, I, I felt it made the playing field very equal if you broke it down into the different categories. And if you don't do that, I think maybe digital art although i admire it and um i'm just so old school <laughs> that um i still like the old stuff <laughs> but i think we leveled the playing field by having the different categories Chantel, um how do you feel about it um uh, you know it is more convenient as Sancho was saying you can hit undo I don't personally feel any calling to it I much prefer to sit in front of a canvas and cry over it stained with oils than sit in front of my phone or computer or whatever and play around like it doesn't call me okay okay then I have to ask you this have, because there are some artists though today especially since we have digital phones and digital cameras. Have you ever, after you finished something, taken a picture of it and then maybe oh, okay. Photoshopped it? Or My work? <laughs> no. Well, I have actually done photography. I've done a bit of Photoshop with photography, <laughs> um, but not much. And with my like artwork, paintings, drawings, I've never Photoshopped it, so. Like the extent of my um, playing around with digital art would be photoshopping the, my photography. But oh. generally speaking, in my art practice, I wouldn't go to digital art just because I prefer to have my hands dirty and crying over canvas, as I said. That's what gets me excited about it. Okay. Uh, Margaret. Um, I think I'm going to 
Okay. So I'm lucky enough to have a friend who um, is doing a lot of stuff in digital art. And the story is that she's taking care of her very elderly, very elderly mother for several years now. And she can't, she doesn't feel comfortable setting up pastels and or oils and taking the time and making the mess and all that kind of thing. So she finds herself creating like at midnight or whatever, when she can be quiet and just work on her tablet. And I have to say that the things that this particular person creates look just like her pastels and oils. I mean, she just has mastered the technique of a particular program that she uses. Um, and her, it's beautiful. So I think it really depends on um, what someone is doing. I think if you're someone who's just sort of randomly taking a photo and then putting layers over it and reversing the color and you say, oh, look at the art that I made. But if you're someone who is using the paintbrushes that come with some programs and you're using the same principles of art, the things that I mentioned before that have to do with composition and values and contrast and line and color, that's still art. Yeah. I mean, it is reproducible. She could make multiple, anybody could make multiple copies of something that way. But, but the creation itself, I think is still um, a valid creative process I think depending on who's doing it and how they're doing it. And I think it's a bit like photography. When, when photography first came in, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, is this really, you know, is this really a valid art form? And yeah, it is now. But I think with anything that's new, there's a lot of question about, you know, what is it? And, you know, there's good photography and there's bad photography and there's like my photography, which, you know, makes reference photos, but I wouldn't frame it. Um, <laughs> You know, but um, but I think I think it's it's new. But I think over time, it, and I think Gloria's solution, Gloria's approach, I think is a good one because it's another medium which is new, and some people do beautiful work. So, yeah, Sorry, I think I, we need to be open-minded about it. Yeah, go ahead, Chantal. I was just gonna say I have actually in the awards seen a lot of amazing digital work. I've had um. A finalist, actually, I think in the second edition, Paul King, who created these gorgeous digital watercolor paintings of famous people, movie stars, and singers and actors. So I've seen beautiful digital works in the competition. So that, I think, isn't debatable for me. I think I was, but personally, it doesn't attract me. But there is gorgeous work out there, absolutely gorgeous work, and very skilled work that looks genuinely like paintings. <laughs> Joyce, what do you think of the digital art world? Well, when I first started doing the art shows, um, getting back to something Margaret said, when I first started doing the, the traveling art shows, photography was not accepted. They did not see photography as an art form. And for many years, it, that's the way it stayed. And then it gradually became the kind of thing because people were always submitting their photography into the jury shows. And so gradually the, you know, the, 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 the powers to be realized that this was an art form. And that because simply because you're not holding a paintbrush and doing it, doesn't mean it's not art. And mm -hmm. so it became, now it's one of those things that gets stirred into shows just like 
now paintings. And I had, I see digital art pretty much in the, in the kind of the same light <clears throat> because uh, it has kind of its same beginnings where, you know, can you justify, you know, using uh, uh, technology to create art and call it art? Um, but I think when the, the, the people, and if, I'm, if my memory search, my memory, my memory serves me correctly. I think this actually started in Bell Labs with a couple of the uh, the lab, the technicians and um, uh, Rauschenberg, and who was at Rutgers, I believe, at the time, and uh, a couple other artists, you know, playing around with art and technology and kind of melding it together. I kind of think that light photography, uh, it too will mature and become <clears throat> a full-fledged all right, four. Catherine, um, theater, I remember seeing um, Les Mis, but I saw it on Channel 12. It was recorded. It was recorded live, but it was a recording. So how do you take theater and does it transfer to digital? What are your thoughts? Hey, I'm trying to learn to do basic graphic design and you know some digital art I'm trying to learn because I have to make the flyers for every show and some of my flyers turn out nice it's kind of nice but I, I really want to make them something special so in terms of that yes um I mean there's there's so much design involved in theater in terms of the sets and the costumes and the set dressings um, it's, it's not digital so much. I mean, I do sometimes get a background and have it blown up for a backdrop because we, we, um, we work on a very, very, very small budget. So we don't have actual flats, but, um, yeah, so there, there are design elements in that too. It doesn't relate too much to graphic design, except for the the advertising and um, the the flyers and the website, which I need to learn more about in order to design well. Did I miss anyone? No, but I want to say something about theater. Go ahead, Mark. Because I think about things that I guess we've been seeing on TV lately. Um, where, you know, people are doing things in very simple sets and they're one or two person shows. And the actually I think it was the it was the um Christmas Carol that was done by George Street Playhouse that they imported from somewhere. And I think that whole stage set background was digitally projected. I have a feeling it was. And that was just amazing. Because I think that was just on a you know a stage or something with one character, I think. And then the whole thing was projected. And and so, yeah, I mean, that's digital digital art that's used to enhance theater. And and yeah, I mean, the people who paint this, the, the scenery might be out of business, but it's really pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I really want to work more if I can get a, a good projector, work with projections. We did one for 39 Steps. It was supposed to be a train. And so uh, I cut together trains and projected it behind them. And that was nice. But if you've ever seen Anastasia on Broadway, 
I don't know if it's going to be open or if it closed. I don't know. But their projections were incredible in really setting the scene and having movement. It was just beautiful. Can I just throw one more thing in there on the theater? Um, and this is, you, you just brought up this memory for me, which was absolutely phenomenal. A couple of years back, um, uh, I went to um, Madame Toussaint's in New York, and it was a holiday time period. And after you, we walked around and saw the, uh, you know, the people <laughs> in wax, they took us downstairs to the theater. I didn't even know Madame Toussaint had a theater, but they did. And you, we went in, we stood in these little, they were like fronts of sleighs. And they digitally threw around us snow and riding down the street. And I'm thinking, my God, what you could do with a, a projector. Amazing stuff that they did. You literally felt like you were out in the middle of New York City on the street with the snow falling and, and people moving past you. Uh, amazing stuff that they, they are now able to do with, um, you know, digital projections in theaters. I was I was blown away. <laughs> right. It's it's amazing. I think the biggest projection I've seen, though, is a circus in Germany wanting to remove animals from the cruelty of the circus. So instead, they launched projections of the animals instead of replacing the actual animals. Wow. wow. Huge projection circus. Completely wow. animals. I still don't see fantastic thing. And there were fireworks and just like these stunning effects. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally projection. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So, so Chantel, that image behind you, what is that image? Uh, oh, um, this is photography of mine from Florence, actually. I was mm -hmm. I did a street photography project, so I found two nuns eating gelato. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Great. So I have a question for Sandra from the audience. Um, Suzanne wants to know, Sandra, what do you think of the traditional graphic in Denmark? Um, it has become popular again, especially black and white. Could you probably repeat the question once more? Yes. Uh, the question is from Suzanne, and she says, what do you think of traditional graphic, G-R-A-F-I-C-H, in Denmark, because it has become popular again, especially black and white? Yeah, actually, I'm not, um, I don't know very much about uh, graphic art in Denmark, so because it's still a bit far away from Latvia, yeah. so... So I think I will have no answer for this question, but I, I could check. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's fine. I um there was also a comment that was made. I don't know if everybody's seen it in the um chat. Um the, the the comment was you artists are giving us a very, very rich program of reflections by sharing your knowledge and legacies of your work. I am learning so much listening to you, and I'm very grateful for this sharing. Very nice. That's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Very honest. So any, any final comments? Well, I have a question. Have you been recording this? I have not. Oh. Oh. I, I didn't see it, so I, didn't, I had a feeling about it. I wanted to. I was <laughs> told that I could not. Oh. Because the only reason, yeah. 
Hold on. The only reason was because I did not get permission from each one of you beforehand. And I didn't real I didn't think about recording it until it was too late and I couldn't go back okay. and get the permission. Okay. So we can't send it to our friends. Unfortunately. What did what did you say, Shanta? Um he's sitting outside listening because they didn't sign up in time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, Joyce, Joyce, I just wanted to say my daughters had you for art and they loved it. Uh, Anna and Laura Payone. <gasps> I don't know if yes, you remember them. I remember them. Oh my God. Anna Pay Oh my God. Yes. They were so wonderful and so artistic and creative. They're the kind of student that, you know, you love having because they go, yes, I'm doing something. <laughs> yes. Yes, they like to be doing something. Yes. So they really enjoyed your classes. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that because they were so wonderful, very creative, talented. And, you know, every now and then I do wonder what becomes of some of my students and to hear some of the good things is nice. So one of my other questions that I didn't get to, and, and oh, that's right. we can still keep going. I'll ask you, Joyce, about art education and where do you think it's going and have you seen... Um, more women, young women, signing up for art in school, or what are your thoughts? Okay, well, over the years that I have been teaching, I have seen art uh, education grow, which is uh, wonderful, because when I first started teaching, most schools didn't have art education. They had maybe one person who went to all the schools, and, you know, you didn't see them for a month, and they did little quick little projects, so to see art really develop and grow as a program in school and as important as math and science um, is has really been uh, a wonderful thing. And uh, I think because of the people who have been into the art program to teach the art have also helped to uh, uh, bring the realization along that without art, you really don't have math and science. You, have, you know, math and science are, have a, a component that is made up of using art, and you can teach it better when you have the art component. So to see art become a very important part of education in general is a wonderful thing, because we have students who are not going to become scientists, they're not going to become doctors, but without what they're capable of doing, there will be no scientists and doctors. So, and these are, these young people need to understand that their skill, their talent is very valuable. And, you know, one of the things I tried to do when I was teaching was to get my students to understand that, you know, they would say, well, mom says I can't, you know, I mean, I can't make a living at, as an artist. And I would say, that's not really true. Your mom is only looking at you standing on the corner trying to hawk your wares when you could be doing some other things and working for big companies, small companies, or create your own company and sell art that way. And quite a few of the students that I had did go into um, you know, um, companies where they were hired because of their ability to do artwork. And, uh, you know, you can't have a, a, a mission going to the moon if you don't have an artist. You cannot design, create, paint, mold, shape that space shuttle without artists. So if you want to take it from the fine arts to the technical arts, you can do that too. But you have to have that person who has that fine art skill to do this technical stuff over here. So, you know, I, I have seen art go from, you know, the art teacher who showed up once a month to having art every single day for every single student because there are students that art is going to be their pathway to being successful. 
And visual art is like theater in that it gives people, it gives a lot of students a place where they belong, which they don't always have any place else. It also gives them a voice, which they might not have before coming in there. And it gives them a way to express themselves, which is so important and so vital. I have to comment, if you don't mind. The Edison Art Society for the last seven years have has given out three scholarships to art students, underclassmen, one at J.P. Stevens, one at Edison High, and one at Middlesex College. And they, the work that they do at that level, at high school and college, is absolutely phenomenal. We have a very strong art program in Edison, and that is, it just makes you feel so good. And when you have to pay your taxes, it doesn't hurt so much because you see the quality of education that we're getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to speak up, though, because I, I did work in Newark Public Schools for several years. And I, I remember when I started in this one particular school, there was an art teacher who, you know, had the kids do all kinds of cool stuff. And it, I have a feeling that as... And I actually we had a dance teacher for a while. She ended up, you know, teaching reading or kindergarten or something because I think that things like that were being cut. So I think it depends on the district and what the priorities have to be for a or are for a particular district, um, and and what their budgetary issues are. I mean, I think we're very lucky here yeah. that that the arts are valued. You know, I mean. In touch in the theater program was just a lot of fun for my kids. So, um, and band and you know all those kinds of things. But not every school is lucky enough to have those particular kinds of programs. So. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think they're a luxury, but no. but sometimes the other the powers that be do. So, it's a necessity that people treat as a luxury, which is extremely unfortunate. But I mean. I would like to comment on what Catherine said about just giving value to people because I've interviewed almost every artist in my competition. And every time I ask what inspired you too, I hear I was going through hell. I had this horrible childhood and it was the only thing that helped me. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Jesse Lean, who was the second edition winner, and he was explaining to me that it really helped him through his dyslexia. It was the only thing that made him feel like he wasn't an idiot. So it is such a powerful thing for human beings. It helps you through. It gives you a lot of peace, a lot of courage, and it helps you. It it helps you understand that not everyone has to be a scientist or a doctor to be intelligent and have skills. So it it has such a powerful value that is necessary. That unfortunately is for some reason seen as a luxury that isn't actually needed, and that's just not true. Artists in everyday life, from building rocket ships to watching movies or the theater or painting. So, so can you explain a little bit more about your award? And is it still open to artists? To We're currently in the fourth edition of it, and submissions are still open. They close the 30th of April. And actually, I'm quite excited about this edition because I've actually partnered with an LA-based PR firm, and the winner is going to receive a $15,000 PR contract. Wow. And have their own PR team working for them. 
as well. So it's going to be incredible. They're going to work with them to help build their websites, do gallery outreach. I'm sorry, I have a bug. <laughs> do gallery outreach, um, media outreach for them. So it's I'm very excited about the this edition specifically, just because the prize is absolutely amazing. So how can people register and or find out more information? The website, Boynes Artist Award, um, all the information is up there, beautifully arranged, if I don't say so myself. Um, um, please, please, can you repeat the website? BoynesArtistAward.com. I can type it into the um, chat. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so um, everyone, anyone can go on, um, read the rules. The um, you can also see past winners as well. Um, the and the enter button is right there, so just click. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you, um, Sandra. What is art education like in Latvia? Um, I graduated from the Arts Academy of Latvia, and the vast majority of graduates were females, actually. However, at the least half of the exhibitions taking place in Latvia are performed by men. So that's an interesting fact. Having said that, apparently such a phenomenon exists throughout the world, probably. So that's... The art education is a bit academic, so uh, in Latvia, actually, I uh, graduated painting department, and we uh, learned a lot of um, uh, academic skills. Theory. Uh, yeah, in the beginning, uh, like the first three years, we really paint models and we draw models and uh, do like all the academic stuff, and only then we start doing like the more creative part. How about you, Caro? How is uh, art education where you are? Well, uh, I have lived in many countries and I have studied art in many parts and in each place is different. I, I love when I studied art in Brazil at Sao Paulo because uh, there I learned to be free and to really create. It was really a program that encouraged that, to do your own thing and not copying other people's works. Uh, so at the class, you can see we, we were a, a lot of students and each one developing his own technique. Some even playing with the bottom of the brushes instead of this part. <laughs> so crazy things, but the things we create were amazing, really. It, and it was a thing that you take those those lessons for your whole life. It, it's mind-blowing how a, a, an encouragement and, and your self-esteem can do to artists. Mm -hmm. I do have a question for all of you. Um, I have a person who wanted to ask this question. Um, what advice can you give them about publishing their own art and joining exhibitions um, and trying to get more exposure for their art? Um, I think I, I think I would actually jump in here. Um, 
I've heavily utilized social media in terms of marketing the artists. I have also, I very much believe in self-publishing. I, you know, write about your work, you know, put, put blog posts up there. It's very easy now with the age of online and social media to take your own exposure in your hands and learn about it. It's it's incredibly easy. It's just a Google away. So I very much encourage people to do this on their own and to go online and to learn how to do that blog post or that website. And it's social media is amazing. And online, the age of online is incredible for artists now, especially for women now who can just put their work out there and they don't have that barrier of entry anymore to in regards to gender. So I very much advise utilizing and taking advantage of social media and just the online world because it's amazing how about you gloria what would you say to aspiring female artists well i would definitely suggest that they join a local um society art society (laughs) Uh, with in our particular case we we try to give our artists as much exposure as we can uh we publicize as much as we can so that people are aware and um, you know we coach people on the costs of their art so that it's a reasonable cost and um, it's really exciting when you sell a piece they they are really charged when we do um, every year in March except with this COVID of course it is student uh, artist month in Edison and we have had um, students from J.P. Stevens and Edison High primarily exhibit, and their work is incredible, and there's always art that is sold, always. And we don't take any commission or anything from that sale because we want the young artists to be so excited about it. So when I give them their check, they're like over the, the moon. It really is a wonderful experience. So that would be my my suggestion. Um, social media is wonderful, but not everybody is very familiar with it and all its uh, wonderful advantages. So for us other folk, <laughs> join a local organization and um, they will work very hard to get your work publicized. How about you, Kara? What would you suggest? I would suggest to become part of a tribe or of artists. Mm-hmm. We artists uh, help each other, and it's crucial to be connected one to the other and find people that uh, have your same mindset, and that that is awesome. And also, as Chantal said, uh, social networks are crucial these days. And there you can connect uh, to museums, art curators, uh, people that you like, what they do. It's a whole world. And uh, I encourage every artist to to be there right now because it's the place to be. (laughs) Great, thank you. Sandra? I would uh, suggest just to continue working in the field of arts. And then also looking, uh, of course, for um, any options or any opportunities, uh, because I think there are quite a lot nowadays. Uh, Let's see, who's Joyce? Well, 
I'm, I'm like Gloria, I'm going to suggest that one of the best ways to uh, get your art out there is to become part of an organization like the Edison Art Society. They really promote their artists and, uh, you know, there are all kinds of programs that come up that you can attend and be a part of, but particularly getting your art on display and be seen. I also think that for those artists that uh, in, um, going on the uh, internet is a good place if you're uh, good with um, YouTube or whatever, what is it, um, Facebook, <laughs> you could uh, set up your own website. I have a friend who has her own website and she sends out uh, newsletters about her art and the different shows she's in. The other thing I'm going to suggest is, and I know from, if I recall correctly, it's still in publication. It's a magazine. You have to go online because I don't have an address in my head. I know they're out of Florida, but it's called Sunshine Artist Magazine. So if you, uh, and I'm not good at putting things in the uh, check because I, I, I don't know where I am. I'm not that technically <clears throat> astute yet, but um, uh, Sunshine, like Sunshine Artist Magazine, and they, you, if you go online and pull them up, you know, put them in there, your uh, search, you will, they will come up and they will tell you what, you know, the issues cost for the year and they list every show throughout the United States and every show in Europe that is possibly going on, whether it's real or virtual. And that's a great way to also see what actually is happening out there in the art world because it's so big, so big. Um, plus, you know, a lot of places around us have, you know, uh, Monroe Township had an art exhibit, virtual art show. So check online and see what counties in our area are doing, you know, art exhibits as well, because they are still going on, you know, and, the, you know, once you get out there, you will find that uh, it's exciting, it's interesting, whether it's virtual or real, you know, whether you can actually go to one, you will find so many artists out there who are willing to share what they know with you. That's the one thing about artists that I love was that they are very caring, they look out for each other. They share their knowledge of what they know, mm -hmm. and uh, you can count on artists. They, you know, the artists in the art Edison Art Society in providing you with what information you may want. So, Margaret, um, yeah, I had, yeah, I had two other ideas actually. One, um, depending on the medium that a person is working in, is to look for an organization that caters to that medium. Like I know that there are watercolor societies, societies around this pastel society. I'm sure that there's oil painting societies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to see if there's something like that. And then also, and then as a part of that, if you go on Facebook, um, and I know younger people or other people use Instagram, but I'm, but, but I, I think a lot of the organizations still use Facebook primarily is to go on the Facebook pages that have to do with whatever your medium is. And there you can see names of other people, people, you know, obviously in the medium that I'm familiar with, people will put out, I'm new to pastels, you know, what's the best brand to buy? What kind of um, surface should I be working on? What is underpainting about? You know, people will ask very practical, practical questions or, you know, I think I'm nearly done with this. What more do I need to do? Et cetera, et cetera. So people really, it's, as Joyce said, people are very generous. The other thing is that there's, um, it's a business, I guess, called show submit that a lot of the arts organizations use for um, especially, okay, let me explain this. 
a lot of the shows recently have been digital yeah. because because of COVID, but, but a lot of the national shows have been digital anyway, because that way you can get artists from all over the world, not just all over the country, but all over the world to submit. And I know that Show Submit is one of the um, websites that my organization is using. It's called S-H-O-W-S-U-B-M-I-T. And, and, I, and I know that they will list... Um, tons of competitions that are out there. So if there's somebody who is interested in getting their name out there and submitting their work for, you know, competitively and trying to win a prize, you know, they can, they can do that because, you know, it, and it depends like, you know, you, because the way a lot of shows are juried is that you, you submit a digital image. Some of the shows, you still need to mail your stuff in or deliver your stuff. And so that can be very expensive. Um, but if it's going to be an online show, then you don't even have to frame it. So that's, um, that's just a good thing to know. And so that's another venue for someone who is trying to get their name out there. Very good. Uh, Catherine, uh I once heard it said that to get into acting, you should try the theater first because that's kind of like the basic, how do you get into theater? How do you? You take classes and go to auditions and okay. you can't let your not being cast stop you from going to auditions because you get better at each audition. So you just have to keep trying and taking the classes and getting to know people as well. And in terms of playwriting, write the scripts and send them out. My my husband has won a few contests. Uh, he has uh, a play that's supposed to be done in Texas next year. Um, so he, he writes his plays and sends them out. I don't. So send them to contests, send them to theaters, have, people, have readings of them. And uh, if you're an actor, go do readings, too, because you never know if the play will be produced, you might be cast in it. Well, th I want to thank everybody because this has been really great. It's been phenomenal. I hope that we can do it again. Maybe we should make it an annual thing. Um, uh, each one of you have been fantastic. Uh, I want to thank Sandra all the way from Latvia and Cairo and Joyce and Gloria and Catherine and Margaret and everybody has been fantastic. Um, I hope we can do this again. And uh, I've gotten a lot of responses in my chat. I've gotten several questions. So I want to thank you very much. Thank I you. We do it again too. Yes, it would be great. We could. Yeah. Thank you. 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 Thank you.